Good afternoon and welcome to OGV Podcast. My name is Dan Highland, Operations Director of OGV Energy, and today we are very lucky to be talking to Will Rowley, Interim Managing Director of DECOM North Sea. We'll be delving a little bit into Will's professional background and exploring what challenges Will has been facing in the current environment since he took over the role in March this year. Welcome to OGV Podcast, Will, and thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. So firstly, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your background and ask um, if you can maybe tell us a little bit about how you got into the business in the first uh, instance. Yeah, certainly. So I've been involved in the offshore industry 27, 28 years, um, predominantly on the market analyst side, uh, running some businesses that are now owned by Wood McKenzie and Westwood Global. And in the last 10 years, working at the Actium Group, uh, and heavily involved in decommissioning uh, activities uh, around the world. Okay, and, and what experience do you have um, specifically in the decommissioning sector? Um, and what experience do you have on the, the supply chain side? Uh, well, as a market analyst, I worked with a, a lot of companies, um, predominantly across the, the UK, but also uh, elsewhere in the world, um, look, helping them get involved in decommissioning projects and aspects of the decommissioning market and the last 10 years at the Actium Group and looking at projects and working on projects around well uh, plug and abandonment and predominantly floater uh, removal so floating production systems uh, FSOs etc. And do you think this experience has helped and uh, give you a, a better perspective and, and credibility in the current role? Uh, definitely uh, so while there is close working relationships, there are different perspectives, whether you're working from a service company, working for an operator oil company, or working from a regulator side. And DECOM North Sea's membership is predominantly on the service side, so understanding the challenges on the service side uh, is important. And, and help us understand a little bit about uh, how DECOM North Sea as an entity um, relates to other industry bodies. Um, and is there an overarching relationship um, with the likes of OG UK, Subsea UK, um, some of the government bodies, OGA and OPRAD? Yes, so DECOM North Sea is the largest global organisation um, solely focused on late life and decommissioning for the, the offshore environment. It is a not-for-profit business and we work very closely with all the relevant government departments. Um, we have a member sitting on a board from the OGA and one from the Scottish Government uh, through Scottish Enterprise. And we work closely with EGA, NOF, uh, the HSE, Ofpred, etc. So it's a close working relationship. And uh, from the outside looking in, it sometimes feels that there's um, an awful lot of bodies all um, doing very similar things. I mean, what's your view on that? Does it maybe get a bit confusing? It can be confusing and the, I guess the membership organisations are going through similar change to the rest of the industry. And uh, there is and there will continue to be elements of change and consolidation. Okay, meaning that we may um, not see some of those organisations in the future? There are already some organisations that won't exist beyond the end of this year. Uh, I won't name them because some of it's not public and we okay. will likely see a rationalisation uh, going on. Interesting. Um, so you've been interim uh, managing director of DECOM North Sea since March this year. 
Um, how did that come about um, and how has the uh, body changed under your leadership? Uh, I'll answer the first bit, how it came about. So I've been involved with DCOM North Sea since before it was formed, uh, over 10 years ago. This is our 10 year anniversary. I've sat on the board for uh, three years. Uh, it's a standard three year term sitting on the board that finished in November last year. And I was asked by the chair and the board if I would pick up the mantle um, after changes with the previous CEO uh, in March this year, March, April this year. And how has the body evolved under your leadership? Uh, well, it's had to evolve. Um, challenging times at the moment, not just with COVID-19, but with the low oil price environment, which is the third time in not very many years that the service sector and the industries had challenges. Uh, so it's had to evolve, as have most of our members. So with most of the staff are have remained constant, and that's a key benefit to the organisation uh, to keep the knowledge and experience. But we've had to evolve the organisation in terms of the value it delivers um, to its members. So we've been involved and uh, providing a lot more uh, free information uh, and free services through webinars. So since March, we've completed over 37 webinars covering a variety of subjects uh, for our members. Uh, it's not just to access opportunities within the UK. Um, some of those are covering international and we've organised for a whole range of other industry professionals to share their knowledge and experience with our members. And from your side of things, I mean, there's a there's a strong headwind um, going on with, with most of the supply chain at the moment. But what are the main challenges that the industry faces as you see them? Well, there are there are two, I guess, competing challenges. Um, so the key one is the straightforward uh, market challenge, uh, which our whole sector faces um, in terms of uncertainty over activity levels uh, and work, uh, where the work's coming from, who's paying for it, and particularly the timing of the work. So whether it's going to be in the short term, the medium term, the long term. And for a service company, that's a crucial aspect because unlike all companies, service companies are often looking, if they're lucky, they're looking to the next quarter. Usually they're looking to the next month. So it's a much shorter process of business acquisition and delivering delivering work. So the volume of work and the scale of work coming through is, is a critical concern. Um, but alongside that is the fact we have both an aging workforce, but also a limited set of key skills uh, that which we are at risk of losing. And they are key skills which don't just impact the, the North Sea and directly uh, activities, but are also underpin a lot of the internationalization activities around exports. So we have straightforward a work issue. But alongside that, we have a resource issue. So it sounds like um, there's a lot going on. And, and obviously, we're aware that the industry, um, just as it thought it was getting back on its feet and things were beginning to move in the right direction um, towards the kind of beginning of this year, um, we were faced with the pandemic. Um, but even before that, um, DECOM North Sea, um, I know, were accused by its members um, for 
maybe a lack of opportunity um, um, and, and a lack of what, what how do you respond to that i think it's a it's a fair comment in the uh, in the past it has not uh, raised its game to the point where it's delivered uh, sufficient value and in particular not delivered enough clarity around opportunities on behalf of its members uh, and that we have changed that already even in the, the matter of the last few months um, we have opened up new opportunities uh, in the UK um, we have signed a special arrangement with the European Space Agency that allows our members to have access to a significant proportion of money which they never had access to before we're working with uh, various bodies and um, potential customers overseas uh, in Brunei, in Malaysia, in India to open up markets to our members as well um, in, in real detail, real specific detail. Um, uh, and we're getting, we're getting traction and we're getting positive feedback from our members that they're seeing these opportunities, accessing these opportunities. Uh, and I guess on the home market, we've been uh, pushing hard um, in terms of working with OGA uh, and directly with various operators to stimulate uh, additional work for our members. So on, the, on that jobs front, um, obviously it sounds like it's, it's kind of mission critical to get things started, to get those um, wheels oiled again. Um, we're aware that the OGA has asked for a £100 million loan fund from the UK government to stimulate North Sea decommissioning activity. Um, do you agree that this is the right way forward for the sector? It's a difficult one to answer fully because the, the information, the detail around the loan fund uh, is not public. Um, so th there are some concerns uh, around what that loan is and, and 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 what it's going to be used for and how it works. Um, but we'll give the OGA the, the benefit of the doubt. Um, there is a particular problem and challenge in the decommissioning sector, which the loan fund may um, and I hope can help solve. And, and that's what's called, well, internally we call it the cash flow conundrum. The when operators or companies undertake decommissioning work, then they get a significant portion of tax relief on the work, on the expenditure. Um, but the problem they have is often recovering that money back through the tax relief can take 12, sometimes 24 months. So you've got quite a long period of time um, which the oil company has to rely on the cash being available to undertake work. If the loan fund can just help bridge the gap and facilitate that cash flow, then that will be a good thing. If it's just adding additional levels of debt and, and uh, the complexity around debt, that's not a good thing because a, a number of your companies are already having challenges around debt uh, in a if it's conventional debt. So if, it, if its purpose is to is quite short term and just to unlock and facilitate, that would be a good thing. So your communication to the government at the moment is looking at a different mechanism that we can shorten the process to access those funds? Well, we've been working with the OGA and, and other bodies and with the expertise within our membership, we've had we've got additional ideas. Um, we're happy and prepared to look at any idea which helps break that cycle and uh, create a 
more cash flow uh, to enable work to happen. From within our membership, which includes operators or companies, we have members who have already said they, they have work ready to go, but are cash constraint. On the supply side, we have members who have assets and people and equipment ready to go, um, but are waiting from the orders from the oil company. So if the oil company can get the cash, we can very quickly stimulate work. So just, just how critical is it then that the sector receives this fiscal stimulus immediately? Um, and, and what are the consequences if it's not received in a, in a short time frame? The time is really critical. Um, so it often gets overlooked that uh, a lot of the work that happens offshore, um, there's a cycle in terms of the procurement, contracting that happens before the execution. And as a general rule of thumb, most things that are going to be executed and delivered in terms of work during, for example, the second quarter next year into the summer next year, needs to be into the procurement process back end of this year, um, which isn't a lot of time left because you need to get the contracts put in place because the planning can be quite complex. So contracts need to be uh, at least visible in a matter of weeks to allow the planning time before the execution uh, to deliver the work in this Q2, Q3 next year. If we miss this cycle, then there's a significant chance that effectively you push everything back a year because you just get out of sync with the cycle. Uh, and the concern is a number of the oil, the number of the service companies will not survive another year. That's the real concern. Oh, and, and let's spell it out. I mean, what, what are the numbers, Will, um, in terms of potential job losses? The actual number of job losses is a real tough one, but we did some some survey amongst our members and the number of to, to blood, I stopped counting when they they came back to me and said that we have numbers that added up to over 10,000 jobs which are at risk and under current redundancy consultations at the moment. Wow. Now whether all of those jobs go, half of those jobs go, a third of those is obviously down to the individual businesses. But to impact that decision making is going to be the visibility of work for next year. And it's not just the job losses, um, but we're also looking at um, the, the capability of that supply chain um, when they when they exit the sector. It's the crucial capability. Um, it's we Amongst that 10,000, there are a smaller number of key individuals who've got years of experience. Uh, and we are still a small market segment, but we are heavily reliant on key experience uh, and the capability that goes alongside that experience. It's the reason companies and uh, government bodies overseas come to the UK, engage with Decom North Sea and our members is to access that key capabilities, key, key skills, key experience. If we lose even a small proportion of that, it has a disproportionate impact on the whole sector. So we could lose that capability forever? Correct. Um, and ultimately, the work could then be picked up by companies without that experience, um, which presumably would then have a detrimental effect um, on the 
on the health and safety side of things um, in terms of detrimental effect to the environment and a detrimental effect to, from, a, from a human um, side of things as well. Yes, definitely. Um, you increase the risks uh, for the environment around people um, as alongside the straightforward economic loss. So if the funding is received, um, what are the live international opportunities and domestic opportunities for DNS's members that, that, that provide justification for the government to, to give you that money? Well, the first thing is, if that money comes through and comes through quickly, the vast majority of opportunities are domestic opportunities. Uh, so this is companies who are uh, particularly based around the Aberdeen area, but based right across the UK, who have work ready to go. Uh, and so this will be work money which will end up supporting the UK supply chain delivering UK uh, activity. Um, there are a few international opportunities, but it's a, it'll be a much smaller part. Um, so it's well PA, there are wells which are ready to, to go. The OGA themselves have already an, um, analysed over the course of the last few years a considerable number of wells which are ready to be plugged and abandoned. So there's no shortage of identification of work. Um, it's just a case of how do you go from we've identified it, it needs doing, how do we unlock the cash flow? Okay, um, so it sounds like it's um, you know, a, a communication job. It sounds like you you have engaged the government. You're, you're talking to them and, and and you're waiting for them to, to come back to you with some kind of proposal. Um, what 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 is DNS's new uh, longer term strategy then? And uh, assuming that you do get this money to help the sector and its members make a sustainable sector for the future. Well, we have uh, I guess three key facets we will continue to do. Um, we will continue to provide advocacy for our members uh, on behalf of the, particularly the supply chain side, to make sure that their voice is, is heard. Um, so issues not just in terms of work, but such as some of the challenges around uh, procurement terminology, contract changes, well, we will still be advocate, advocates for uh, the supply chain for that. So that continues. Uh, we will focus and continue to focus on identifying opportunities that our members can access, uh, whether that be across the, the North Sea or internationally, and working with the relevant parties, either in local um, national parties or uh, with the international organisations to enable our members to access those opportunities. So that's with Scottish Development International, DIT, EIC, etc. So we will continue with those. And at a local level, we will continue to support our members in their practical networking with the operators and particularly the technical authorities. So we have a number of uh, events we will be running and uh, through the back end of this year and into next year that help connect the various parties. So opportunities, networking, advocacy, three key things that our members say are important and we will continue to deliver. So it's been very evident from this um, discussion, Will, that you're very um, passionate, you're obviously um, very well informed, you, you've got a plan. Um, what is your personal current status? Um, you're obviously interim uh, managing director at the moment. Are you interested in the full-time role? You're not the only person who's asked me that question. Um, it's, 
unfortunately uh, I don't live in the Aberdeen area and longer term it really needs to have a CEO or MD who lives in the greater Aberdeen area. Um, I have uh, a personal situation with a family member that pre prevents me moving to, to the area. Um, so I've even before I took the role it was very clear uh, in my discussions with the board um, and the reason we deliberately put the interim title in is to ensure that people know that it is it has a temporary aspect to it um, and we're not as an organization not perceived as losing another uh, another leader in a short period of time okay so will you see out your current obligations um, given the, the criticality um, of the task that you're undertaking um, and what time frame do you think um, we're looking at here for the government to make a decision for this fiscal stimulus? On the second part of that question, uh, it's, the timing is really critical. Um, as a uh, as a market segment, we need to have clarity in a matter of weeks. So we are talking certainly this side of Christmas to get that clarity. Ideally, I'd like to say by the end of this month. Um, but unfortunately, government may not move that fast. Um, but it is really time critical to get that decision. Uh, in terms of my personal circumstances, yes is the answer. I will see out my obligations. Uh, I continue to have constant dialogue with my chairperson and our board. Um, and I haven't given uh, notice, but I've promised them at minimum three months notice, and I haven't given that yet. So you can uh, you can take the time timeline from that. Um, it's highly likely that I will also continue to sit on the board uh, even after my, the change in my role, uh, if they still want me. So we will ensure there's continuance and constant um, through into next year and beyond. Well, hopefully that's very reassuring um, for your membership for all of the good work that you've done. Um, well, Thank you very much indeed for a fascinating um, insight into what's happening within the decommissioning sector and we wish you very well um, with your conversations with the government and we hope you get the result that you're looking for. Uh, so do I and so do our members. So, thank you. Thank you very much.